All right. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be with each of you. I'm glad you decided to come out tonight. Um, Justin and Pam, I enjoyed the worship. Is Justin in here? He, uh, there you are. I enjoyed the worship. Thank you very much. Uh, and Irma on the piano. I mean, let's give it up for Irma, right? I mean, what about her? She didn't get much piano time, but it was, it was good. And now where's the boys that just played and sang? Where are y'all at? Spread out. Now, when he said us in that song, weren't you supposed to sing along with us? Because I heard him doing the you, or, you know, shine on me. But then when he said shine on us, I didn't hear you singing. <laughs> Something you might want to practice and keep that in mind. But, hey, I'm going to hijack you all and take you all, kidnap you, take you back to uh, there you go. I'm going to take you all back to Indianapolis with me, so you all better be prepared to get in a trunk, you know, and we'll take you back to our church. Uh, it's good to be with each of you tonight. I don't know all of your names, and, uh, but man, I'm, I'm glad that you chose to be here tonight. We are going to look at what is God's biblical vision for a church, your church, um, God's church. What is a biblical vision and you might be saying, what are you talking about? Well, I'm excited that you want to know that you're here because this is, this is like foundational type stuff that we're going to be studying tonight. And then tomorrow night, we're going to look at more and then sum it up on Sunday morning. I want to take just a minute uh, to tell you that we're going to be studying from the book of Acts, chapter 2 in the New Testament. You might want to turn to that or write it down or look on your phone or something. Acts in the New Testament, chapter 2, and then Matthew 28, Acts 2, and then Matthew 28. Also, I just want to take a minute to commend uh, Archie and Pam. Uh, they are doing a good job, I believe. They're good friends of ours. Uh, Archie and Pam are both talented, you know, loving people. They're the real deal, so you can count on that. Um, Archie's done some crazy stuff in his life. He's, uh, I heard he, Irma was telling me a while back, like all he does is talk about barbecue in his sermons, but you know, I think he's quit doing that, uh, but he's been everything from a truck driver to a race car driver, uh, working on the fire department, the police department, and now he's here preaching with you. So uh, I, I commend them for their faithful service, and, you know, they left good-paying jobs, both of them, to, to go to the call to serve God, and that's commendable when somebody makes a sacrifice to serve God, no matter what, what it is we do. Because serving God does involve sacrifice. And the blessings are great, but a lot of times we have to sacrifice to serve so that others can be blessed. Uh, I want to commend you, the Oak Grove Christian Church. Uh, you guys are faithful. You've been loving and serving God for many, many years. And I commend you. Archie speaks well of you. And I am glad to be here with each of you tonight. Let's take a moment and just uh, pray to the Lord before we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we can spend together tonight. Father, would you come down upon each of us, and as your word is spoken, as we share, God, would you just inspire us and lead us in your paths and help us to follow and to just, God, see the, the value in being a child of God and helping others, God, do our part to help others come to know you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're like me, this pandemic thing has been kind of crazy, hasn't it? I mean, from all different angles, from everybody debating over, you know, the value of masks to 
you know, closing down, you know, facilities and opening them back up, schools being closed, uh, people getting sick and dying, uh, some people thinking it's, you know, a joke or fake. So it, it's disrupted a lot of people. It's had an impact on a lot of businesses and on the local church because we gather together and then we go out into the community, we serve, but we do gather, we depend upon that. And so it's kind of altered that. And for some people, uh, they, they have gotten comfortable with being away. For some people, they feel safe being away right now. And so we don't need to judge everyone. We just need to love people through it, including, you know, ourselves and trying to figure out, you know, how to get through this thing. Uh, hopefully over time, that will uh, get, it'll get better. Um, tonight we're going to talk about God's uh, vision, a, a biblical vision for God's church. Tomorrow night, we're going to talk about an attainable mission. There's a difference between vision and mission. And then on Sunday morning, uh, we're talking about uncompromising values, truths that we are, you know, grounded by. Now, what is a vision? A vision is why we exist. It is what you're here for. What is your purpose? What are you doing here? And, and why does God have you in this place, this location, this city, this town? Why are you a Christian? Why are you a follower of God? It deals with the why. And, uh, of course, I don't have to tell you this, but you know this is not, you know, my church. And it's not your church. It's not Archie's church. It's not the elders' church. It's God's church. Amen? And that's why we take this seriously. Because, I mean, it's like if you take God out of the United States, then it's going to be like in the Old Testament time when they didn't have a king for a while in Israel. And the Bible says, and every man did, you know, whatever was right in his own eyes. And that's called chaos. And that's, that's what's going on in our country. And it's hard to know how to respond to that. But if you take God out of a church, then all you have is a social club. And I'm telling you, there's a lot better social clubs than the church. You know, you, you got the world competing then for just pure entertainment. So why are we here? We're here because God has called us to himself. And then God's called us together to impact our communities, our families, our friends. It's, it's actually um, not a building. The church is not a building. And so you might say, hey, I'm going down to the church tonight. Well, actually, we need to be saying, I'm going down to the church building. Because we're the church. The people are the church. And, you know, we're the people of God. The church is organized differently. We're not organized like the government. You know, uh, some church boards are organized like the government. You got, you know, everybody like outvoting each other and competing. And, and that's not the way God's church is supposed to be. There are biblical elders, and the elders hopefully are the overseers, the over-shepherds of the flock, and they are perhaps uh, selected by the congregation to lead that church, but they're the spiritual leaders, okay? And they're not to lord it over others. It's not about power. It's not about control. It's about serving Christ to those that they lead. And they can't do it all, and Archie can't do it all. So in some churches, there's deacons. And you know the word deacon just really means servant? 
That's all it means. And you might say, well, that's a lowly position. I want to be an elder. Let me tell you what. Jesus said, the greatest among you will what? He'll be your servant. So you want to be great? You learn to serve people. And you'll be lifted up. You don't have to worry about finding a place in God's family. You want to be great? You learn to be a a humble servant. And as members of God's church, we all find our place. We're all involved. God's given us talents. You see, the church is to be theologically united. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We may not have all the answers that we agree on, but the main fundamentals are the same. The church is to be divinely diverse. Romans 12, 6 through 8 talks about the different gifts that, you know, we all possess. And if you have a gift of serving, then, man, you know, go wide open with it. Dream dreams. Do, do whatever you can do to, to God's glory. The church is to embrace the call of Jesus. And what is that? Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. Picture for just a minute, if you had come to this church facility and you were looking for something, you're looking for a a fellowship of believers, you're looking for friends, you're looking for God. And as you drove up and you got out of your car, much to your surprise, there's there's a note on the door that says, uh, you know, we're, we're happy where we're at. No, no more room, no more room for anyone else. I mean, that doesn't happen. But if people walk through this door, whether they're the same as us or different than us, and they get a cold shoulder, it's like we got a sign at the door saying, you're not welcome. And friends, we need to really think about, are we an open arms church? Are we open to anybody and everybody i don't expect people who don't know god to act like mature believers but when someone comes to christ we have responsibility to grow and to mature and so i would hope that god would bring all kinds of people through the doors and that we would be welcoming and we would show them what a christian family is all about we would show them what the love of god is all about and we would be a welcoming people and then we would learn to go out to seek and save the lost. And if you're like me, man, it gets harder every day. The, the world, the pandemic, Satan himself, it, it's, it's very difficult. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and that should be our vision, or at least a big part of our vision. Let's open up our scriptures to Acts chapter 2, verse 36 uh, and through 47. Acts chapter 2, 36. And we're going to begin with verse 1 for just a moment. We see that after Jesus had died and was resurrected, we see that there was a Jewish gathering. It was a day of Pentecost. And in verse 1, it tells us about that. So let's take a moment and look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'll give you a minute to turn there. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The scripture says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. This was the beginning day of the church. It was the beginning day where the gospel was going to be preached for the first time. It was a starting point, but it went out from there. And we do that as well. We come, you know, I remember when I grew up in Daytona Beach, a little or medium-sized church called Daytona Christian Church. 
it had this little slogan, you walk through the door, enter to worship, depart to serve, and you've probably seen that, but you know, I think we ought to be worshiping God all the time, and, uh, but yet it was a, a good reminder that there's a mission field out there. There's maybe a mission field in your home. There's a mission field in your school. And so God wants us to gather, but then the gospel transforms us and sends us, compels us to go out. Let's look at verses 36 through 38. They had a gathering, and then there was a proclamation. Verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They wanted to know this unique person named Jesus Christ. He stands out above all others. And he went and died on a cross, and now he's alive again? What does that mean for me? And basically, Peter was reminding him, no, your sins put him on the cross. And see, we need to remember that ourselves. Our sins put him there. That's, that's a humble reminder we need to be reminded of. That's not a depressing thought. I mean, Jesus died for us, but our sins put him there. Okay, I'm indebted to him. What shall I do? And of course, repenting and being baptized is kind of a starting place. This was the first time the disciples went public with the gospel after the crucifixion. He was a man. He understood suffering like you and me. He was Christ. He would redeem Israel by his atonement. And he is Lord. He is at the right hand of God, ruling uh, until that day that God calls him back to take us all to heaven. And he must be Lord in our lives. He must be at the top of your list of anyone you admire, anyone you love, anyone you would worship, anyone you would follow. There is none other like him. And then there's the call to repent and to be baptized. You see, but Jesus didn't come to save us from our sins only, but to, to uh, really just enhance our life, but rather to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness so that we can go out and be a part of his rescue mission, ambassadors of reconciliation, missionaries of his grace. You know, a lot of times we've just settled for in the church gatherings, just kind of polite and friendly relationships. But God calls us to a much deeper walk. God calls us to a deeper connection with one another and with him. And that will impact the world around us. They'll know we're Christians by what? By our love. And we could talk about that. We're going to talk more about what that is tomorrow night. You know, so how do we show that love to our community? I think that's one of the questions I want to present to you tonight. How do, if, if you love God, how do you show that to a community that could care less? To a community that's as busy and, and working and entertained to the hilt? 
apathetic, depressed. And we could go on and on. How do you show the love of God to people around you? Because that's part of the transformative uh, quality of God. Well, let's look at a response. Verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's, that's, <laughs> you're talking about a revival, right? We're, we're talking about chills down your spine. Uh, that's a revival. Let's look at this community, this biblical community. Uh, I grew up with parents that loved me, but my mom showed it in a different way than my dad. My mom was a nurturer. She was an encourager. She spoke into my life. I remember when I was 8th or ninth, no, about 10th or 11th grade, I started playing the piano. And, you know, I wasn't real disciplined, and I really wasn't a good student. And so I was just kind of like taking lessons for a while, then I quit, and just kind of like trying to learn by ear. And she would always say, oh, Bobby, that sounds so great. And I'm like, really? You know? But I would keep playing because she was encouraging me. Do you know if there's any volunteers in God's church, the greatest gift you can give them is encouragement. Encouragement will go farther than any kind of amount you can pay them. My dad, on the other hand, he loved me, but he showed it in different ways. He wasn't super communicative. Uh, that is a word, right, Archie? You might want to look that up. He uh, showed his love by buying go-karts, mini bikes. I remember, guys, one time we had a single-car garage, lived in Daytona Beach, I remember one time opening the garage and there was 11 go-karts in the garage. So he showed love in different ways. I had a lot of fun growing up. But I cannot remember until I got to be married and had children that I once ever heard my dad say, I love you. I'm proud of you. I miss that. But I didn't know I was missing it at the time. And he didn't know how to give it because it had never been given to him. And, you know, men didn't tell men back then that you love each other, you know. And it was later on that he learned the value of speaking words of encouragement. And I think as a Christian community, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, the couple that got married. You know, 10 years later, he said, well, I told you once when we got married that I love you. That's enough, you know. That doesn't work. We, we need to remind each other what, you know, what, life is to be like and how 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 much we need each other and, and, and encourage each other because i tell you if you're like me there's like so many discouraging things that can bring you down each and every day there's just i mean satan is constantly chasing me a am i am i the only one <laughs> i mean be honest am i the only one like satan is like after me all the time and then you know your your natural self is tempted just without Satan in the picture, you know, I can be stupid on my own. Do I have any, any people like that? Okay, good. I'm glad you're being honest. And, you know, it's just, it's good to be honest. You know, we need God. I have no idea why, why that, how that fit in my sermon. Okay, but I'll figure it out here in a minute. That's one of those, I, I've got this thing called like ADD, I think. Do any of you guys have that? Where you're just thinking one thing and then your mind goes in another direction. Does Archie ever do that while he's preaching? Uh, yes. 
But in the church of Jesus Christ, in the family of God, man, how many churches have you heard of where there's arguing, fighting, bickering? I'm going to go ahead and tell you tonight. I grew up in a couple different churches. One as a, when I was in middle school, when I came to Christ. And then one, we moved out in the country and then I went to a smaller country church. And I remember this elder who had just become a baptized believer like three months before. And they put him as chairman of the board. Chairman of the elders because he was a successful businessman. All right, so he, you know, manages lots of people. Well, nobody bothered to check. Uh, was he, uh, you know, rude, uh, obnoxious, controlling? <laughs> and so, you know, had outbursts of anger. So I remember I was a youth group representative, and I would go to these elders and deacons meeting. My dad was a deacon. And I remember being in the elders meeting, and they were trashing the minister for something that I thought was kind of, kind of false you know the, the john john was his name he was the chairman of the elders he's not alive anymore but he was trashing this senior minister and i just thought it was kind of un, i didn't think it was right I, I didn't think it was correct and i just spoke up i was like 11th or 12th grade and i just raised my hand and john said yes and i'm like hey i know that the minister too and i don't i don't think what you're saying about him is really right and he said son you want to go outside right now you know he wanted to take me out and fight this was the new elder that had only been a christian or something like two or three months uh, then i remember in that same church they had appointed a new baptized believer as a deacon and i remember we were in another uh board meeting and this deacon got upset about something and he just started cursing god's name and other curse words i'm like what is this you know so we need to take this seriously this is not a social club it's not our church. It's God's church. And we must either decide, are we with God or not? Are we going to walk in our own footsteps? We might as well go start a social club or go start a band or you know, just go, go have fun somewhere down at the bowling alley. But if, if we're in God's church, then we must take the call of God serious, the mission of God serious. How are we ever going to seek and save the lost? How are we going to bring people to Christ if we can't get along? If we're arguing, fussing and fighting, and, and you know, the Bible talks about a divisive person, and, and it talks pretty sternly about a divisive person. So let's show you a different picture right here in chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We're going to see a different picture here, which is, I think, what you guys aspire to be. Let's start with verse 42. And they, the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' or teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed together were, had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing and proceeding the proceeds to all as had any had need. And day by day, attending the temples together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and giving favor, having favor with the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
they had like church every day. They went into to their homes and they shared fellowship meals. They did life together. If someone needed a lawnmower, okay, they didn't have lawnmowers back then, but they're like, borrow my lawnmower. You know, it wasn't a socialistic society, but it was a society where people loved so much that they shared. And I'm telling you, that impacted the world. And the world is always attracted when they see real Christians who are following a real God and it is changing them from the inside out. Now, what if, what if we looked just like that? What if people spoke of you that way? And these people are the real deal. Like, they love one another. They are giving and serving our community. They're trying to make an impact. Like, what would it be like for the, the community speak of Oak Grove Christian Church that way? Well, we know they, they also continued. Look at verse 42. Uh, the second part of that says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayer. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 47. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This should be our vision too. But how does this occur? Well, we must be united in purpose. Uh, remember, a vision is why we exist. Why are we here for? That's a vision. What, what's our purpose? And so we must be united in purpose. William Carey, the great missionary to India, said to a body of people, I will go down if you will hold the ropes. I will go into the caves, into the places where you will never go, but you must hold the ropes I will go down if you will hold on. I will go if you are holding fast, holding tight. You see, it's this idea of working together, supporting each other wholeheartedly. You're not going to leave any man behind. You're going to work together. If there's a work day, we're going to all show up if we can. If there's a service project out in the community, we're all going to do something to participate we're not going to just have a few people uh, hit and miss. We're all going to try to do our part. You see, God's counting on you to figure out a way to embrace his purpose. And, and that takes us to our next scripture real quick. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Let's, you can probably quote it. Some of you can quote it. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, if we're united in purpose, it's Jesus' mission. We've got each other's back. We're, we're not, listen, we're not talking about one another we are talking to one another. We're supporting one another. We're praying for one another. We're complimenting each other. We're not competing with each other. You see, people who compete 
are insecure, jealous, uh, envious, and they're control freaks, I think. We're not trying to compete with one another. You're not trying to be Archie, and Archie's not trying to be the you know, banjo player. We, we all have our place. And there is no like great and small positions in God's church. In God's church, everyone matters. Let's just use that phrase, right? Oh, I'm sorry, all people matter. Uh, in God's church, all people matter, and especially those who work in the nursery. Like if you have little children or whenever you do, like if you work in the nursery, you're just like a double saint, okay? Because like some people can't work with children, but then there's some of you that just love children dearly. God bless you. So, you know, you get throw up all over you and all kinds of things like that. But sometimes it's not about the child. You might be helping that child hear a Bible story, but let me tell you, you're going to have young families come and visit. I know it. And they're going to be looking for a safe, clean nursery with personnel that are well-trained and they're going to want to know maybe a check-in and a check-out policy so no one can come in and grab their kids and part of what you do is for that couple so they can come in here and get the word of God and so I'm telling you there's so many aspects to any kind of ministry you might create but, but we must also release people to pray I mean to serve it's one thing to say, you know, we've got needs in the church or we've got opportunities. But we've got to release people to go out and to trust them to serve, not control them. Uh, we've got a lady in our church named Becky, and she has a community garden. And at first I thought, well, that's kind of wacky, you know. There are hungry people around us there are poor people around us but you know a community garden i didn't you know like okay everybody can have their garden at their house well over the last like five six years she has continued to improve the community garden to where now like it's so big i mean people are coming they're getting little sections of land where they can you know grow vegetables and so it's 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 about feeding people it's about them coming and interacting with people they don't know maybe seeing somebody that loves the Lord and loves them and loves to, you know, she's a master gardener, so they're learning things. But my statement to our church a couple weeks ago was that everybody should find their community garden. What is your community garden? I, I don't know if anybody's come to, to the Lord yet because of the community garden. Because, you know, sometimes, like, you may not know. You may plant the seed and then years later, somebody may water, and then years later, somebody may reap that harvest. How do you know? You see, we're called to go, and then it's in God's hands what happens after that. But what if each of us could find our community garden, something that would help fulfill this vision that Jesus had for all the earth, that he was here to seek and save the lost? And we should be about that too. We need to be united. We need to be willing to risk. You know, for a couple different reasons, I've kind of gotten risk averse. You know what that is? You're, you're kind of shying away from risk. It's safe to not be risky. And of course, if you ask my wife, she would tell you I do some crazy things and I'm like super risky. <laughs> and, 
uh, I don't want to bore you with stories, but, you know, four years ago, I got a heart stent, and the doctor said, well, it's genetic. Well, okay, that's kind of partially true. It's like genetics plus not exercising plus eating too many Chinese meals plus, you know, stress, and it was easy just to pull back. The pandemic, whatever you want to call it, it's been easy to pull back. It's been easy to sit at home. I tell you, we still have some office hours, but it's not the same. I've got a staff of people, and when I'm home, one thing I've found out, I'm sitting on the couch, if I'm not outside working or, you know, making some phone calls or whatever, and I got, you, you know what a laptop is? <laughs> well, I bet you don't know what a laptop does when you sit it on your stomach for like 100,000 hours through the pandemic. I literally was getting burns on my stomach, like literally because of the heat and the radiation. I was reading up about it. I'm like, why is my stomach hurting? It feels like a skillet has been on my stomach. It's because I'm just sitting there, you know, doing work on the laptop, and it's like burning my stomach. I hope I don't have cancer or something. I mean, like, that told me right then and there, like, I'm spending way too much time on the couch. Like, I've retreated, and the pandemic has slowed me down. I'm risk-averse. I'm scared of it. I don't want to, well, you know what happened? Four weeks ago, I got the COVID virus. I had let my guard down, and I don't, you know, I don't know whether masks work or not. I don't think they're 100% effective, but I don't think they're 0% effective. I think they're somewhere in the middle. If everyone would wear a mask and everybody would, you know, but like one day we'll get a, you know, a vaccine and hopefully some of this will go away. But I know the week before I got the virus, I had kind of let my guard down. I was going out to places, having meals with people. I was going to conferences. Nobody's wearing a mask. I had people in my office up close. I was counseling with people. I did a wedding in my office. You know, nobody had a mask on. And I just got complacent. And, and it's, it's no joke. It's a no joke virus if any of you have had it. But after 10 days, I got through it okay and was able to go on. My wife and I both know people who've died from it. So it depends kind of on, you know, what the virus is going to do to different people. But my point is, if you get to the point where you're not willing to take risk anymore. It is going to hinder your mission and your vision for anything you do. It could be sports. It, it could be a life dream, a goal. It could be the work for God. And I realized the one thing I needed to do was start taking risk again. I just told the elders last week, I said, next year I'm going to need eight to $10,000. I want to build some soccer fields out in front of our property. We've got like a big highway in front of us uh, or a big road, four-lane road, and we've got great proximity. And I'm like, I want to build soccer fields for five, six, seven-year-olds. And I want to have little small soccer games. We don't have to have a, you know, a referee uh, or, you know, or um, a referee. Or umpire's the other one. You know, our volunteer coaches can do it all. We're not trying to compete with the school leagues or anything. We just want to have fun. We want to have like a safe place where families can come. They're outdoors. They can come gather, and they can just have a good time meeting, you know, people from the church and interacting with Christian people and, you know, 
serving our community. I mean, I've been to one too many sporting events where parents are like yelling at their kids, expecting them to be professional and they're only like 10 years old, you know? Like, this wouldn't be that. This would just be a fun league, just for you to have a safe place to go outdoors. Archie can tell you all about this. When he was in North Carolina, he ran a football league at, at their church facility. And I mean, they had like all kinds of families coming. And I mean, you could do that here. And it's the idea of taking risk. I don't know if it'll work, but I, I've got to the point in my life where I'm like, I've got to start trying something again to help connect with others. Because folks, let me tell you, the day of build it and they will come are gone. I, I wish it wasn't the case, but you, you could build another building and if you do nothing different, they're not going to come. You have to be on mission for God and you have to figure out how can I take this call of God and how can I connect with the people who don't even know they need God yet. They don't even know it. How can we get outside these walls? And if we have to build buildings, it will be because we've been going out. And maybe if you have home Bible studies and fellowships during the week, maybe you won't have to build bigger buildings. I don't know. But I had to come to the place where I started taking risk. We must go. We must dream. We must try something. Um, maybe, this, maybe the four-word question needs to be asked. What's the four-word question? Do you see anything? Do you see anything? It was asked by an aide whose name was not, has not found its way into the history books, but the one who was asked the question is known by many, Dr. Howard Carter, a well-known British archaeologist who at the time had his head poked in the ground into an ancient Egyptian tomb. For six years, he had been digging. Others had come and dug, and they had given up, and they had quit, and they had left. He alone remained. And sure enough, on that history-making day, 1922, Howard Carter was peering into uh, another cave he had dug, a hole he had dug, into the silent darkness. And he saw, for the first time, wooden animals, statues, chests, gilded chariots, uncarved cobras, ungonate boxes, vases, daggers, jewels, a throne, a wooden figure of the goddess Shekmet, and a handcrafted coffin to a teenage king. You see, it started with a vision. And he asked, he was asking the question, and his aides were asking him the question, do you see anything yet? And of course, he did. It was the priceless tomb and treasure of King Tutankhamun. And I want to ask Oak Grove tonight, what do you see? Do you see anything yet? You know, Archie's telling me about all the buildings that are going up, all the businesses that are going up, all the apartments going up. And you know, you don't have to be like another church. You've just got to be Oak Grove. Who is Oak Grove? And what do you see? And what are you willing to do to, to find it? There's all kinds of needs out there. There's needs of children, young families, teenagers, a sports recreation league perhaps, senior citizens, support and recovery groups, 
you know, what would impact your community the most? Listen, what would impact this community the most right now? What abilities and gifts and talents do you guys have that you possess? Do you see anything? Do you see anything? At Valley Mills, we look around us and we see a lot of hurting people, a lot of depressed people, a lot of brokenness. We have three counselors, two of which are in our church. One is on staff. One is a member of our church, a professional counselor. We've got another minister who comes in and does some counseling in our building. And we open up our, to our community. And we, we mission, the, we pay part, partly the price so people can come for like $25 an hour. They, they can no longer say, well, I can't afford counseling. Let me tell you what, divorce is expensive. Why can't you throw a few hundred dollars at counseling? Like, I've been to all three of them for different reasons. And, and I think we're in this period where everyone you know is really hurting in some way or another. Most people just are afraid to tell you. They're afraid to tell you they're lonely. They're afraid to tell you they're confused. They're scared. They're, you know, they're sad. They're depressed. They're financially in trouble, upside down. They've got an addiction. And so what we did was we see all these hurting people around us, and we said, we want to start some addiction programs. So we've got a 12-step you know, recovery program that we've been doing. The chairman of our elders 13 years ago was an alcoholic near death, about to lose his marriage. And he went upstairs to our addictions, Christian addictions program. And he not only got delivered from the alcohol, he met, he renewed his faith in Christ. And he is now the chairman of our elders. He's an amazing man. Our vision at Valley Mills is to bring hope to people's valley. Valley Mills, you know, it's like, that's not the greatest name. It'd be better to be like Mountaintop Christian Church or something like that. We're like, okay, what kind of a vision can you have for, you know, val something in the valley? And we got to thinking, everyone goes through a valley. And so everyone needs hope. And so we came up with a vision. It's our dream. It's our, it's our desire. It's our purpose to help people find hope in their valley if they will be honest. Tomorrow we're going to talk about mission, how to accomplish the vision that God has for us. United in purpose, willing to take risks, prayerfully persistent. You know, any real move of God begins with prayer. Jesus, it's interesting to me that Jesus said to his disciples, or his disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Have you ever found that startling? That They'd been around Jesus for three years, and they're saying, teach us how to pray like you do. You go up and you spend hours in the mountains in prayer with the Father. Teach us how to pray. Jesus started, his, his mission started with a vision to please his Father and to seek and save the lost. Paul's missionary journeys started with a vision. Paul says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. What, what do we need to change to step out into 
the hurting world, the confused world, the busy world? What do we need to do different? Paul says, I've become all things to all people. Are we ready to take the church outside these walls? You know, Proverbs says, without a vision, people what? Perish. You know, in the coming days, I hope you will be able to re-examine why Oak Grove exists. I want to close with this. And most of you go by it every day, and you, you've, you've read it. And I understand Archie read it here, and, that, and that's, that's really cool. Oh, I took pictures of the banjo. I took some video of the banjo players and the singers. Is that all right? I mean, you, you guys are going to go viral now. <laughs> but I was looking right out here in the foyer, and, and I noticed, let me just share this one phrase with some of the founders of Oak Grove years ago. We have already covenanted with God in Christ. In doing so, we realize that we have taken God the Father to be our God, Jesus Christ to be our Savior, the Word of God to be our only rule of faith and practice. And listen to this as we close. Listen. And I don't know if you've seen this. In the salvation of all men to be an object of perpetual concern. That's on the board. The salvation of all men to be an object of perpetual concern. Let me just close by this thought. If you have been touched by the grace of God, you see, you're saved by grace, not works, right? Lest no man should boast. I mean, we would, we would all be in trouble if we stood before God and said, look at all the good things I've done, and we, we know they wouldn't all be good. But if you've been touched by the gospel of grace, how can you keep it to yourself? Come back tomorrow night, because we're going to share how you can get the gospel of grace out. We're going to look at the mission, how to accomplish the vision, and see some things that Jesus taught us on how we can live out this faith in such a dynamic way that others would want to come and experience it. Thank you.